morning, church family. Um, man, it's hard to believe this is a ninth sermon on this Look to Christ series. And uh, a little bit of a church order before we get into the message. Uh, we've been going through a unified service. You guys know we're going at 1030. And the hope is to bring the church family together. As Pastor Victor talked about oneness, right? Oneness in the body of Christ here at Evergreen SGV. We talked about every, uh, in August will be the end point of this end. But throughout that time, the leadership will be evaluating. So we've been evaluating. So what I, we're going to come up with a decision to go back to two or to one service. So I would like everyone to do is pray. What is best for our church family to achieve this oneness that we've been talking about? Okay. And to achieve a greater unity, a greater genuine fellowship within the body of Christ here at Evergreen. So please pray about that. Um, just like we talked about, I just wanted to, we we're going to talk about missions today. We're talking about being on mission, being a disciple of Christ. Jesus gives us the great commission today in Matthew 28. But before we even get there, I want to give you an illustration that's been near and dear to me, which I heard for maybe 16 years. Coach Carroll, just to give you a little bit into my world of football and my life as a coach, was huge on building teams and being of one mind and one heart. And so this is not an unfamiliar place for me as we're trying to grow and pray for a church family to become one. And he had something very simple. Football guys, we need simple, we need, we need, we need clarity. All right, so what he would do, and so I went home and this is... Rose Bowl ball, by the way, just kind of a, as a sign But he would get start every off-season, every uh, training camp, and talk about the ball. And he would say, guys, it's all about the ball. It's all about the football. Why did he do this? And he knew in football there's a lot of different positions. There's a lot of training. There's a lot of studying. There's a lot of activity that goes place. But he even simplified. He even went beyond winning and losing. He just said, you know what, guys? On offense, our job is to keep the ball high and tight, double wrap, throw it to the right guys, make sure we keep the ball. On defense, our job is to intercept the ball, get the ball, and every call, every technique is designed for you to get the ball. So everything that you do, training-wise, everything that you do, studying scheme and play, game plan, is about to get the ball. He knew but the more chances we got the ball or kept the ball from the other team, that increased our chances of winning. So this is a very clear, very elementary thing, and he would talk about it weekly. It was the culture of our team. I mean, there's pictures, there's signs of it, there's t-shirts, says it's all about the ball. We have little wristbands built. We talk about it all the time. The coaches will be talking about it. I'll be talking about it. Players will be talking about it. We'd be competing with one another in practice, talking about it. Who got the ball? Is it turnover Thursday or no turnover Thursday for the offense, right? So it was a competition. But it, it, was, it, was, it was a common thread throughout the fabric of our programs. Hundreds of people were involved. And the reason why he did that, like I said, is to make it crystal clear what our mission was, to get the football. Or not even winning and losing, it's can we own the football? And this is what this is about. And so I, I have a question for us as Evergreen Church family as I transition to a new team, a new type of team, right? What is the number one function of the church? What is the number one function of the church? Think about it for a second here. 
what would you say is the number one function of why we exist? Why didn't God just take us to heaven as soon as we believed in him? And so we got perfect fellowship with him. Why? Well, we're going to look at Matthew 28. It's not going to be my version. It's about Jesus, the head of the church, is going to tell us exactly what our function is. Matthew 28, 16, very familiar verse for many of us, the Great Commission, many people call it. But a little bit of context as we read Matthew 28. Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, is a Jewish tax collector. Jewish tax collectors are rich. They're hated. They're rich because they cheated their fellow Jews for money. They, they collected tax for the hated Romans, and they also took a little extra and a little sum-sum from themselves, and they got rich. They were hated. They were cheaters. But Matthew gets called by Christ and he leaves everything, hear me now, he leaves everything to follow him. And matter of fact, this whole book of Matthew has five major discourses, that's teachings on what it means to be a disciple, five of them. Matter of fact, the whole thing is about Jesus being the Messiah, the king, establishing his kingdom. All right, so... Matthew 28, Jesus has a climax to the whole book of Matthew and says, you know what, it's about building disciples. And really, Matthew 28, 16 might be the point of all of Scripture to build Jesus' kingdom. All right, so Matthew 28, some people call it the Great Commission. Today's sermon is called the Commission of Christ. Let's rise. We'll be at Matthew 28, 16 to 20. This is God's word. This is Jesus before he departs. He doesn't depart from Galilee. He departs later on. But this is his, one of his final parting shots to the disciples and the others that gathered around. Verse 16, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, northern Israel, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Supreme ruler. Verse 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you, this time to preach your word. I pray, Lord, by your spirit, you open our eyes to see your son more clearly. May we love him more. May we be clear about what we're called to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. All right, I have a slide up. Why does the church exist? Question mark. Why does the church exist? Ultimately, all right, what is the purpose of our existence? And no matter whether you're a mountain or whether you're a mountain lion or a whale in the ocean or the Pacific Ocean itself or a Christian, we exist for his glory. We exist to make God look good, the creator look good. That's it. But making disciples is exactly how we glorify God the most, how we grow the body of Christ. Because remember, Christ is the head, and he has a bride, the body of Christ. That's us. And we're called to grow the discipleship, the body of Christ. And there's a small window that we have here. Just like an athlete, we have only a small window because the reason why he didn't call us up into heaven right away is because we have discipleship going on. We're not doing this on the other side of eternity. 
We've been glorified as we learned about last week in, uh, in Jesus' prayer life. We have been glorified once we go to heaven and see him face to face. But up until then, our job is to A, if you're not a Christian, help come to know Christ through the preaching of the gospel. Or B, if you're already a Christian, preach and minister the gospel so that you become more like Christ. That's discipleship. So we become more like him. Verse 18 right here says this, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What does this mean? Jesus has supreme authority. He's the king. He's the Lord of lords. He is the one. Revelations 5 in our Look to Christ series, Jesus was coronated, right? Worthy is the lamb. Jesus has been coronated as the king. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is head of the church. So verse 19, here we go. Since Jesus is supreme and Lord of all, therefore, verse 19, therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Therefore, therefore, this is an imperative command. What does imperative command mean? This is a very important command. Just like Coach Carroll said, it's all about the ball. This will affect how our season turns out. This will affect your rewards in heaven. This will affect the level of joy that you have on this side of eternity. Therefore, I'm telling you what to do. I'm charging you what to do. This is an order. Like I talked about earlier, on my Bible, this is the Great Commission before this section. All right, it's the Great Commission. This is not the Great Suggestion like some people treat it. This is not just some, hey, if you're kind of gifted in this area or you have a passion for this sort of thing, maybe why don't you give it a try? This is a charge for every single one of us who is a follower and lover of Jesus Christ, period, in no unclear terms. And it says to make disciples of all nations. And I kind of want to break this down a little bit. What does, it, what does it entail to make disciples of all nations? Point one, I, I'm just going to go through them fairly quickly. One is to go. Number two is to baptize. And number three is to teach. And I'm going to go through it one by one a little bit more in depth than that. But the first is says, go therefore. Go entails movement. I'm going someplace. I'm going to disciple somebody. And you could be called to disciple in East, East Asia, somewhere abroad, somewhere out of state. You know, so there's an intentionality. I'm going someplace to make disciples. There's a purpose. There's an intent. I'm going to play football to get the ball. There's an intent there. You're not just aimlessly living your life. Go also carries the meaning of as you are going. What does that mean, Pastor Rocky? As you're going, as you're simply living out your life, who has God put in your face to disciple? Evidently, I'm a husband. I have a wife. I'm called to disciple my wife. Evidently, I have four children. I've been called to disciple my four children. Evidently, I've been called to be a pastor. I have a staff to disciple. Before that, in coaching, in the secular, maybe you guys could relate more. In your workplace, who's showing some kind of interest towards Christ? Who has God put in front of you? Go as you are going, as you're living out your life. It's a whole mindset. It's a whole mentality. Just like coach tried to design our mentality to attack the football on defense, our mindset is to God, who have you put in front of me to disciple I'm looking. I'm looking. Obviously, if I talked about it, if you're a husband or a wife or a parent, it's already set on those people that, that, that we're called to disciple our homes. No question. But outside the home, we've got a lot of different people that God may bring 
to us. Second thing, baptizing. It says baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an absolute act of obedience. If you are a follower of Christ, you need to be baptized. Jesus says, get baptized. Baptize these people. And I just want to say ahead of time, baptism does not have any contribution to our salvation. Simply believing in the message of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who died on our behalf and rose again three days later, is the saving message of the gospel. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. That saves you. However, if you truly are a follower of Christ, you will obey him. And as a matter of fact, I believe this will crystallize your faith and help you feel more sure and secure in who you are in Christ. Let me explain. In the book of Acts, we talked about in the One Mind series, okay, where the, these Jews were baptized outside the temple. This is a massive statement to everyone say, I'm siding, I'm identifying with Christ. I'm no longer identifying with this temple system anymore. Massive. As some of our missionary brothers and sisters could tell you, if you're baptized around the world, you could get killed for that. You could get disowned for that from your family. This is a real identification. You're applying the flag and saying, I love Christ. I'm with Christ. It's about identity. Baptism is about your outward identity that shows up. You're declaring. So you may ask yourself, Pastor Rocky, you know, who, who's fit to baptize? I mean, I see the Ethiopian eunuch get baptized on the side of the road. All right, we're part of the body of Christ here at Evergreen SUV. Who you consider to be your church family, you should be baptized in front of. Because basically you're declaring to everyone that you love and trust, and say, hey, brothers and sisters, I'm with you. And I need you to come alongside me and help me out. And I'm going to come alongside you and help you out to live a dis discipled life following Christ. So that, if that answers your question, this is about your identification with the triune God, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this will crystallize within you. It's because once you say it, you declare it to the world. That kind of puts you accountable to other people and other people accountable to you as well. So baptism is, is a huge part of discipleship. Thirdly, teaching. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, the Word of Christ, the Bible, teaching God's Word. How do you know how to obey the Lord if you don't know what He wants from you? Otherwise, it's your own idea. It's your own uh, impulses, it's own, your own uh, desires. How do you know that your pastor is guiding the church in, the, in a way that honors the Lord? Because it's off the scriptures. That's why you know. That's how you feel confident about that. So teaching, feeding, obedience is at the heart of Christian life. But you don't know how to be obedient if you don't know what Christ says. Scripture, we're teaching the scriptures. And as we talked about, the Christ rules through the Bible. This is why we teach the Bible. This is why we minister to the Bible. This is why I have you open up to the book and you read it for yourself. Oh, this is what Jesus is saying. So you have that conviction. This is from the Lord. The Bible is going to be absolutely central by God's grace to everything that happens in the life of Evergreen SGB. Absolutely foundational. This is what we're about. It's, it's the scriptures because the scripture tells us clearly how Christ is and what he's called us to do. All right, so here, here we go now. Let's get into the area of discipleship. So you, now we, this is our charge. We know this. We're supposed to make disciples. Going as we're living, it's a mindset. And, 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 and baptizing, helping people identify clearly in Christ. And then teaching, teaching, ministering scripture. 
Right, what does it actually mean to be a disciple? All right, I, I, I want us to be very clear about this. We're getting very fundamental. As Coach Carroll held up the ball, we're very foundational, very fundamental. Let's get very fundamental. What does it mean to be a disciple? So as I taught in the 8 o'clock pre-service, you know, it, guys are on it. Boom, follower. Someone who, a follower of somebody, a, a learner. Right, really good stuff. I'll, let me give you an illustration from ancient Israel. Ancient Israel, they had rabbis or teachers. And they would take on students. Students who they felt were worthy to come alongside and be learned, taught by them. And these learners were more like apprentices. They would sit under them and be completely devoted to their masters. And in, that, in this relationship, they would do everything to follow. They mean, just like Matthew, they would give up everything to follow this rabbi. And as they did this, the whole idea was to please their master. And there was an end goal. There was a goal in mind. The reason why the rabbis took on these students and the students decided to follow these rabbis is that these students will become like the rabbi. This is what it's about. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself as a disciple? Deny yourself means you are no longer the center of your universe. There's somebody else in the center of the universe now. As a follower or disciple of Christ, Jesus is at the center of our universe. He is the one that we look to. He is the one that we please. He is the one that we leave everything to follow. He is the one that we want to become like. So we're all in the process as disciples of Christ. And I want to kind of, as I travel the world of football and stuff, I come across a lot of Christians, a lot of Christian or evangelical type ideas. And there's this idea floating around like, Perhaps being a, a saved person is step one in being Christian. And then level two is now I'm a disciple. All right? Or as like, hey, I remember I got saved in junior high, but I didn't start following Christ until I was like 28 years old. As this idea that there's a junior varsity Christian and then varsity Christian, okay, in my language. No, disciple is synonymous or disciple equals Christian. Or Christian equals a disciple. That's, they're one and the same. So if you're, if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ. Just like me or anyone else. I mean, the quality of the following is in question, but you're a follower of Christ. So that's what a disciple is. A follower of Christ who's growing to become more like Christ. That's what a disciple is. Now, how do we make disciples, all right? All right, Rocky, now that I know what a disciple is, now that I'm clear that my charge is to make disciples, how do we actually go do it? That's a great question, isn't it? How do I actually do it? And I thought to myself, well, maybe I'll give some illustrations on how I did it as a coach and, and, and disciple and how I'm currently discipling people. But I was convicted. Now, forget that. Let's look to Christ as a series. Of, let's see how Jesus discipled so that we could copy our Lord in it. How did Jesus do it? Well, let's, I'm going to give you a brief overview, then I'll get a little more specific. He invested in 12 men. Intimate relationship, very relational, very caring, very tender. They spent three years together, approximately. One of them would betray him, Judas. So there would be 11 left, and 11 will help change the world. And out of those 11 or those 12, Jesus spent time and greater intimacy with three of them. Can you name them? 
right? Can you name those three? Peter, James, and John, right? Peter, James, and John. Those are the three. And on top of that, one of them will emerge as the leader. That's Peter. So think about how intentional, how, 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 how focused our Lord was. Twelve, one of them bailed out, and then really three, three got to go to the Mount Transfiguration, three had more of a closer place with Christ, maybe perhaps closer friends to Christ, and then there was one, the leader, Peter. All right, and then so I'm going to take a look through Matthew. Like I said, Matthew is really a book of discipleship. And I'm looking through this, and I said, the Lord guided me to Matthew, and they said, oh, let me see Jesus' interactions with Peter. How did Jesus interact with Peter to train him up as a disciple, right? So I'm just going to go fairly quick, but the points will be behind me. If you want to take a picture or take some notes, you can look deeper into the scriptures. Point number one, Jesus calls Peter. That's out of Matthew 4. Okay, out of Matthew 4, Jesus, just like he says, go as you are going. As Jesus was traveling through Galilee, he, see, he sees a bunch of fishermen, Peter, Peter James, and John, and, he, and Andrew. He goes, hey, Peter, I'm calling you. I'm calling you to be a fisher of the men. Come along. And he left his nets and followed him. There's a, there a much of invitation. So as you're going through life, who in your life is kind of showing some kind of interest where you can say, hey, let's start meeting. Hey, you want to enter in a relationship that could help you love and know Christ more. It could be someone in the church. It could be someone outside church. Minimally your children. Minimally your spouse. Number two, Jesus cares for Peter. This is a loving relation in Matthew 8. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, right? He cares enough. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law, heals her. This is a big deal. You don't think that built some kind of currency with Peter? Absolutely. Are you, are you spending time checking in with people that you're discipling? How are you doing? How's your mother doing? How's that work situation? How's that marriage situation that you mentioned last week? You know, Jesus demonstrates there's a human side to Christ. He cares for Peter. I'm going to go heal your mother-in-law. Point number three. Matthew 10. Jesus teaches Peter. There's these discourses. I mean, it's all over Matthew, so I just picked Matthew 10. But he teaches Peter either in formal uh, big settings of teaching or these very personal interactions. And Peter was always available to, uh, or able to ask Jesus any questions. It's very normal. It's very organic. It's not like, oh, let me set up an appointment and ask you a question. I mean, imagine say, hey, let me, let me go ask so-and-so. You just shoot a text. Yep, this is what it is. Hey, by the way, this is what was happening on the day, and I want to share this with you. It's just very normal. It's very organic. Very normal. Point number four, Jesus included Peter in ministry. Matthew 14, feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus pretty much did everything, but he, he instructed the disciples, hey, tell the people to sit down. All right, uh, disciples, uh, what, what, what do we have? Well, we have this boy with some fish and some loaves. All right, uh, why don't you start distributing these? I mean, he allowed them to kind of take baby steps in this whole process. I remember for me, I remember hanging out with like Pastor Kyle or something back in the early 2000s. Can you imagine that? Early 2000s and, and we're at some coffee shop hanging out. Then, I don't know, he gets the urge to talk to some complete stranger. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? He just said, hey, just pray for me. Well, he just involved me. Just pray. All right, I can handle that. I'm praying. And I see him doing it. At the time, I wasn't ready for all that stuff. 
At the time, Peter and the disciples weren't ready. He just, hey, just minister the food. All right, so P- Jesus includes Peter in ministry. Point number five here, Jesus allows Peter to fail. Matthew uh, 14, 29, Peter walks on water, and then boom, what happens? He looks at the wind and the what? The waves, and he falls. But Peter, he allows him to, to, to fail. I mean, any good parent could tell you you allow your children some opportunities to fail, but or the consequences aren't like life and death, right? You're not going to let them run out, play football on the streets and on the freeway. We get that. But Peter was allowed to walk out and to fail, and there was Jesus to make sure he's okay. Peter was allowed to fail. Point number six, a couple more points. Jesus corrects Peter. Matthew 16, 23, he calls Peter Satan. He goes, get behind me, Satan. He rebukes him. Right? Sometimes disciples need to be corrected. Point number seven, Jesus lets Peter in. This is a big one now. This may be challenging for some of us. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's about to be arrested and betrayed and go to the cross. Jesus is saying, hey, brothers, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. This is very hard. Although Jesus never sinned, this is an incredible trial that he allowed Peter to come into his life. Are we sharing our struggles with our brothers and sisters that we're discipling? I'm scared. I don't know what's going on with my next season of life. I got these struggles in my marriage. I got these struggles in my children, my job situation. Man, this is what's going on. Or I might be in sin right now. I might be, um, temptations coming upon me. Or do you allow your disciples to see that side of you? Even our Lord allowed Peter to see that side of him. Last thing. And then Jesus protects Peter. Matthew 26, after Christ gets arrested. Remember, Peter's the one that cut Malchus's ear off. How did that guy not get arrested? Think about that. That was a miracle. Like we talked last week about protection. Jesus protects us from things we're not ready for. Jesus protected Peter. Peter was not ready to be arrested. He will be ready someday to be arrested, but that wasn't it. So in essence, you see, I go through all these eight things to kind of show us, look how earthy that is. It's very natural. It's very much living day to day. This isn't some kind of like, let's make an appointment and meet up. There may be some of that, but this is just normal. They, they were friends. Imagine that. Jesus is a friend to Peter. And entering into Peter's life, Peter entered into Jesus' life, and there was a teaching thing that kept happening day to day. And they were friends. This is what it looks like. And Matthew is about building the Christ kingdom. It's all, and, and this is what it's about. This whole thing's about discipleship. And at the end, you get this crescendo. Boom, now go out and make disciples. Now that I showed you how to do it, disciples, go out and make disciples. I mean, Coach Carroll was a mastermind of building teams and having a purpose. It's all about the ball, he said. Simple. Simple. Christ is not vague about what we're called to do. Go out and make disciples. Reproduce yourself. Grow my body. Grow the forces that's going to come back with me in Revelation 19. The Christian life is to make disciples. Very clear. Very clear. And, but I want to give you a real side of it too. All right? There are some challenges in discipleship. As, as I look through the scriptures, even in my own life, I look to some challenges in discipling. One of them is betrayal. I want to encourage my brothers and sisters that you guys have been actively involved in discipling people. 
If you've been in it long enough, you will be, have been betrayed. People will have turned on you. This is very painful. I'm, I'm, telling, I'm talking about people that you let your life into, you shared your struggles with, you, you invested time with. I mean, it's going to happen. If you're involved in this in a real way, it's going to happen. It happened to Christ. Clue number one. Paul, it happened to him several times. So just know that this is a real thing. They will turn on you. Some of them. Here's another challenge. Lack of fruit. Perhaps you've been discipling young men or women for a long time, and man, you've invested in time, and you've seen some fruit, and all of a sudden there's like, what happened to you, man? You just disappeared off the planet. What happened? If you're a parent discipling little children, young children, you may be like, where's the fruit? Right? I understand this. We understand how this works. Perhaps that's what your struggle is. I, I ain't going to enter into this arena again, man. There's no fruit. I'm, I guess I'm not called. You may Christianize your words. I'm not called to do this because I don't see fruit in my life. You don't know how it's going to turn out. John Wooden, even his basketball coaching, said, I knew the type of coaching job I did 20 years later. Give it some time. And even, uh, even at the end of this side, you may not know. On the other side, you'll know the fruit of it. Simply be faithful. Be content in being faithful. Or thirdly, I am not capable. You're like, hey, Pastor Rocky, you're a professional pastor. You're kind of like, this is how you're built. I'm not like you. I don't know as much Bible. I don't know this. I, I'm kind of shy. I'm not really capable of this, right? We can all think of reasons why not to. I don't know. Maybe this is where you're at. Is this where you're at right now? Can you honestly say, yeah, I'm discipling people right now, men and women. I'm discipling men and women. I'm doing it right now, Pastor. Are you saluting Jesus back? Say, yes, Lord, I'm doing it. Well, I want to speak to those who aren't and maybe who are struggling through discipling. I want to take heart. Take heart in what I'm about to say. Verse 20, let's read this here. This is where is the most encouraging and the most powerful sentence or statement at the end, which is at the end of Matthew 28 for the whole book. He, Jesus says, low, low meaning like, listen up. Low meaning like, hold on now. I know I, I put a whole lot of stuff on you now. I know some of you guys, including you, the leaders, the 11 disciples, you've been unfaithful to me. I know you just saw me arrested and murdered. Many of you are terrified this is going to happen to you. He says, low, hold on. Hold on. Before you go out running down the hill and start doing what I charge you to do, hold on. Lo, I am with you. Always. I mean, look at, can you imagine that? Always, even to the end of age, into the end of this era, until this world is destroyed and started up again. I'm, I'm with you forever, Jesus says. How is he with us? Last week we learned that Jesus is constantly praying for us constantly praying for us. Can you imagine? He's praying for you and me right now. He's praying for me as I'm preaching right now. Thank you, Lord. He's praying right now that he has his spirit indwelling in us. He's always with us. I mean, that's where it's at. Just as we've been look, talking about this look to Christ series, even in our discipleship, we look to Christ. Lo, I am always with you. Let's go back to verse 16. You're probably thinking, man, Pastor, you didn't think 16, 17, important. You kind of skipped over those, right? No, no, no. This is, this is critical because this is talking to people like you and me. 
Verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus has designated. Sea of Galilee is like a big lake, okay? Around it is like a bowl of hills and mountains. And I can't even quite say it's like the San Gabriel Mountains, much shorter. Just hills. Hills or mountains where Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is basically all 11 disciples' hometown. They're from northern Israel, Galilee. He takes them back home. He takes them back home and says, meet me at this mountain. I don't know which one. Perhaps it was the same one he delivered a sermon on the mount. Perhaps it's the same one that he taught the, one of the discourses of what it means to be a disciple. Perhaps. We don't know that. But the big idea is this. The 11 showed up. Just be available. Just be available to what God has for you. I mean, where has God called you? Like I talked about earlier. Are you married? You have an assignment right there. <laughs> you know it. You don't have to hear from the Lord. The Lord tells you already in Scripture. This is your number one discipleship partner. Your parents. Number, number two uh, priority, disciple your children to love Christ. Deuteronomy 6 talks about as you're going, as you're waking, as you're lying down, as you're walking. It's just a, that's just a way of saying as you do life, disciple them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what discipleship is. Parenting is discipleship. That's all it is. Sometimes we get mixed up a little bit as parents, Right? Is the goal of parenting to go to the college or to get the job or to live in a certain neighborhood? That could be for some of us. Remember, Coach Carroll says it's all, about, it's all about the ball. Right here, it's about discipleship, raising up young boys and girls to love Christ as adults. At work, who are the co-workers? Maybe it's someone who's persecuting at work, right? Maybe it's that person. Who has God perked up with certain conversations about Christ with you? At school, maybe it's your classmates. You know, who is it at the university or at the school that God has put in front of you? I just, I was so encouraged as so many people served this week. I mean, our campus was full of life, brothers and sisters, and we had so many people involved with SBS and Adventure Week, and, and they're trying to teach the children to be servants, right? What, how awesome is that? They're discipling them to serve as Christ served, and in essence, to be more like Christ. That's beautiful. This past week, I mean, yesterday, I was at Sure High School, and I see some Spartans out there. I used to walk some of those halls like 25, 30 years ago, and it looks the same. But I, I was invited to speak to 200 uh, youth football coaches. I mean, you had all walks of life there. And I was like, yes, this is my type of crowd. And I was talking, and, and, and same thing. I just say, hey, the relationships, the, the, the opportunities you have with your players is an opportunity to grow them and raise them up. And I share my testimony. Christ Jesus became Lord of my life. Christ Jesus is the reason that I live. Christ Jesus is the message of my life. And I ask them, what is the message of your life with the players that you have? And I get it. Not all of them are Christians, but same thing. What is the message that you have? With your mouths and your lives that you live. What are you trying to get done here? Verse 17. Let's go to verse 17. This is going to be where it's at right here. Verse 17. When they saw him, they, 11 
maybe plus 500 other people, when they saw him, Christ, what they do? This is what we're going to be doing, brothers and sisters in heaven. They worshiped him. They worshiped him. Here's a funny illustration. We had a saying here, whether it was coaching at the University of Southern California at the Seattle Seahawks with some players, okay? It's it. Look like Tarzan, play like Jane. <laughs> what does that mean? Look like Tarzan. You guys know who Tarzan is? Tarzan is a guy, with a half-naked guy with a leather uh, covering, swinging from vine to vine, muscular, and uh, making a lot, lot of noise. But play like Jane. Some players that we recruited look like God's gift of football. I mean, incredible height, strength, speed. Even talked about it. Ah, you know, made a lot of noise. <laughs> Seriously. Then we got on the field. There was no hitting. There was no effort. There was no intensity. Nothing. All right. <laughs> so it's like, so as a coach, our job was to do a heart transplant. Like, all right, man, you know, you got that right body, but let's give you a heart transplant. That was nearly impossible. I mean, you have to remind the guys constant. this is why we lift all them weights. This is why we run all them hills every day in the summertime when it's 100 degrees and smoggy. This is why you study all that film and study the playbook. Not just for the sake of knowing, but so you go out and play. They had great bodies and great minds, but the heart did not ignite what was on them, the gifting that they'd been given. So brothers and sisters, we could have a lot of gifting in this room. But if the heart is not connected to Christ, there's absolutely no detonation. There's no explosion that takes place. This is just kind of like, hey, ho-hum, I'm just doing it. You could go through life like that, half asleep. Some of the things that I, you know, we could say is, do you actually love ball? Or do you simply love lifting weights? Are you just a weightlifter? Are you just a, a bodybuilder? Do you, do you actually love ball or do you simply love studying film? You just love understanding the technical side of the game. Do you actually love ball or do you simply love being part of a team? I just want to be part of the program. I just want to be associated with players and coaches. I got a point here, my brothers and sisters. Let's flip it now. Let's get to church life here. Do you love Christ? Or do you simply love living moral lives? Do you love Christ? Or do you simply love studying the Bible and learning knowledge about Israel and Old Testament stuff and New Testament stuff? You love history. All head knowledge. Do you love Christ? Or do you simply love just belonging to a great group of people here at Evergreen SUV? Because if you don't love Christ, your gifts will not be ignited to disciple one another. There will be no explosion in your life. <laughs> don't look to me. This guy wearing a sport coat and, and talking to you. Don't look to me. Don't look to the person next to you to ignite that love for Christ. It's you and Christ. Beg him for that love. Beg him for that clarity that, Jesus, you're worth more than anything else. My job is like, a, if you go to like a, 
Lowry's or a fine dining place. My job is to simply serve the meal. All right, that's why I got this coat on. I'm serving up the meal. I don't even cook it. I just, here it is. There it is. And I want to give us a little bit of clarity on why we went to this Look to Christ series. I'm just going to rant, just kind of bang, 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 bullet point all eight sermons. Don't worry. It's not going to be an exhaustive summary. It's just going to be quick. This is why we preach Look to Christ. First sermon, we had one mind. We we're praying for our body of Christ to be of one mind. Acts 2, they were absolutely undistracted of what was absolutely eminent and what absolutely important. It was Christ. I'm going to get back to that one at the end. Sermon number two is look to Christ herself. In Genesis 3, we saw our need for Christ, how sin tore apart that fellowship with God. Sermon number three, Christ the Lamb. Revelations 5, all we learn about Christ, the slain Lamb, is the one that allows us to be at fellowship with God again. And He is worthy. Sermon number five, or sermon number four, we learn how this Lamb turns into the Lion of Judah, comes back to reclaim what's His in Revelation 19. Are you getting a fuller picture of our Lord? That's what look to Christ means. As you're looking to Christ, are you getting a clear biblical picture of our Lord? Number five, Christ the head, Ephesians 1. He is the head of the church. He has all authority, as we just read in Matthew 18. Sermon number six, the body of Christ. We are connected to the head, and we're called to build, it, to build up that body for Christ. Ephesians chapter 4. Sermon number seven, the word of Christ. The Bible is God's word. More reliable than our mere experiences, the Bible is the greatest picture of Christ on this side of eternity. And then sermon number eight, the intercession of Christ. John seven, Jesus is praying for us right now. All right, combine that now. That's our Lord to some extent. In eight sermons, that's, you have that picture now. And from here... I trust that the work of the Word will give you a greater love for Him. That's why I minister the Word with this jacket on. I'm serving up this meal for you, feeding you so that you will love Christ more. You have a clear picture. Remember this. Who or what you love, you will serve or worship. Remember as Peter failed Jesus three times, the question, the key question is, Peter, do you love me? Not perfectly, but genuinely. Evergreen, do you genuinely love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is he the treasure of your life? Is he the greatest treasure of all? Is he the one that you think about? And if the answer is yes, pray for more. If the answer is not quite, Pastor, pray for the same thing. Pray, pray, Lord, I want to love you more. I want to know you more. And as you look deep, deeper, look to Christ in the Scriptures. And when they saw him, Look to Christ. They worshiped him. That's my goal. I want to show you Christ as best I can according to the power of the Spirit and the Word so that you will worship him. I want you to see him. Look to Christ. I'll tell you, this is, people have asked me, like, you know, even at Sure High School, you know, they're wondering, why would you leave? That's why. That's worth it to me, ministering the word, to see people looking to Christ and to love them more. Let me give you a picture of what it looked like in Acts chapter 2. Let's review. Let's go come full circle back to our first sermon. Acts 2, 46, 47. This is what it looked like, and this is what really is describing discipleship. Okay, brothers and sisters? Day by day, 
Acts 2.46, if you want to turn to Day by day, continuing with one mind. One mind, one heart, one mind, one thought, one focus. It's all about the ball. No, it's all about Christ. In the temple and breaking bread from house to house, life together. They were glad, taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They loved each other. They were with each other. They were discipling one another, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It just happened because every single brother and sister in Acts chapter 2 was consumed with Christ. No distraction. They had a clear picture of who he is. I want to close out here and give you the message of my life. Um, uh, we talk about life verses. 1 Corinthians 2, 2 is my life verse. Paul writes, For I determined so nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For I determined to know nothing among you. Determined means to judge, to weigh against all other things this world has to offer. All every other thought that you have. As I challenge the coaches, determine what you want to be about right now in the offseason so that when the season hits, you're living it out and you're preaching it. So right now, brothers and sisters, in this cool air-conditioned room before you hit the road, Determine right now what is the essence of your life about. What is the message what you want to be about? Christ Jesus and him crucified. Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. Jesus Christ and the gospel message. That's it. That's the message of my life. Not perfectly, by any means. People closest to me could tell you that. My wife, children could tell you that. Friends could tell you that. But genuinely, yes. By the grace of God, yes. By the grace of God, yes. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now the reason why we went to this last, meaning the Great Commission last, right, is because when you emphasize works or doing things before emphasizing your love for Christ is meaningless. You're just going through the motions. It's a heartless exercise. You're just saying, check, I obeyed the pastor. All right, God must be happy with me. That's, we're avoiding that. That's like the plague. That's not what it is. We emphasize Christ. Therefore, go out and make disciples since you are a disciple. You love Christ. Christ dominates you. Therefore, go out and make disciples. This is a very, as natural as can be. We want to be people of heart. We want to be, we, we, I, I've been praying for our church family. If you want a vision, I don't know, but the vision is growing our people to love Christ, to become more like him. Clear. It's all about the ball. It's that simple. That's how I think. I think this, the Bible is not that complicated. It's all about the ball. And, and that ball is Christ. Christ is the one that we look to. Love for ball could have people run through walls and run through people and have life-altering injuries because they love the game. How much more to love for Christ, right? Look what he's done for us. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing for us, and I'm going to bless you guys. And honestly, over the last eight weeks, God's been doing a work in my heart. God's grown a deeper love for the church family. I don't know everybody yet. But I've got to meet with people one-on-one -on -one and things like that. But even if I don't know you in that way, 
God's given me a deeper burden for this, for the church family. So it's a beautiful thing. I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. I'm so grateful that the church family will allow me to do this, that you guys will support our family to do this. So grateful. And just know that this is your pastor's heart, but more important, this is your head's heart, Jesus' heart, that you become more like him. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I mean, is that fundamental that, and then therefore we love him so much. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. God, you're so good. Thank you that you love us so much. And you are always with us, Lord Jesus. And you have redeemed us with the powerful message of the gospel. And you have armed us and equipped us to minister the gospel to the lost. And I thank you that you equipped us with the message of the gospel to grow your people. It always goes back to you, Jesus. It's always about you, Jesus. And I thank you. Father, I pray a prayer blessing over our church family here at Evergreen SUV, your church family. God, I pray that you will grow our love for you, deepen our love for you. And I pray for honesty. And honestly, we all could grow to love you more. And for those of us who, don't, who can't claim genuine love for you, God, I pray you do a miracle in their hearts right now that they will love you. They will see you more clearly. You open the eyes of their hearts so they will see you and they will, they will love you. Conversely, I also pray that you open the eyes of our hearts so that we see you more clearly, Lord Jesus, so that we become more like your son. We want to become more like him. So, Father God, I pray you bless the efforts of our discipleship. I pray there'll be incredible fruit. I pray there'll be people exploding for Christ. The heart will ignite the giftings in the body of Christ here at Evergreen SGV so that this will look like one mind, one body under you. You're, you're the mind, you're the head. And Father, even if the fruit isn't good, even if there is betrayal, I pray, Lord, for the fruit of contentment that we'll be content in just being faithful to you, Lord. Regardless of what's going on, regardless of what has happened, I pray for that joy. Thank you for this great privilege, Lord Jesus, to, to preach your word. I pray the work of your word would just burn in our hearts right now and throughout the days of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.